Greetings, race community. Brent coming in live from Evertrue HQ here in Boston, Massachusetts. Haven't said that too much over the last 20 months or so, but I am uh, in Boston today and I am thrilled to welcome our guest, Blair Velocity Atkinson, who is the president of the Oklahoma State University Foundation. Welcome, Blair. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Well, I am really looking forward to getting to know you better. I have had uh, some very memorable trips to Stillwater. Your team is unbelievably gracious uh, and just has been an amazing uh, partnership for us over the years, but haven't had the opportunity to spend all that much time with you. And so I wanted to just start by um, rewinding a bit and just learning a little bit more about where you grew up and ultimately uh, what led you to Oklahoma State University. So take me back to, let's say, junior year of high school. Who was that Blair? What was she into? And what led you to Oklahoma State? Well, um, I am originally from Northwest Oklahoma, a little town, middle of nowhere, um, near Woodward. So Wi-Fi, Oklahoma, they're a really small school. Um, and there I was really into sports. I was, um, I grew up on a farm. My dad's a veterinarian. He came to Oklahoma State. So when I graduated, I was determined not to come to Oklahoma State. Uh, I really wanted to live anywhere other than a farm. So I started my higher ed career um, in Oklahoma City. At, um, Can I just ask? Yeah. So I'm looking at Woodward, Oklahoma yeah. right now on the map. We're kind of, you know, up there near the panhandle. Uh, and you mentioned that your father's a veterinarian. And one of the things that I've done over the years, especially when we were in more of the in-person conference circuit, I love asking development professionals like kind of the craziest stories they've encountered over their career. And one of the craziest stories, which I won't go into here, was one of the development officers at Oregon State University who works with the vet school. And she described her day as like going around from vet clinic to vet clinic. And long story short, she like helped deliver a cow or something on a donor visit at one point. So yeah. we will someday document all of those stories. But when you think <laughs> about crazy stories growing up as the daughter of a vet, uh, anything stand out for you? Uh, we've had many of stories like that where you're delivering um, animals and um, so uh, probably nothing that would be um, too noteworthy other than, you know, lots of midnight runs to go help deliver a baby calf. And my friends used to love it. They thought it was the most fun thing ever to be woken up at 2 a.m. to go on a call to, to deliver a baby. But again, I didn't go into veterinarian uh, practice for a reason, and nor did I want to be on a farm after that. It, it makes me feel, Blair, that for all of the various shows from you know, ER to Grey's Anatomy about yeah. the healthcare sector. Like, where's the vet show out there? Like that, right. that could happen. Yeah, for sure. It, it's a, you know. People love Indian. animals. Your That's friends right. love the wake up. I think we're onto something here. Yeah, right. amen. I think in the middle of nowhere, Oklahoma, um, you get your fair share of even exotic animals or rescued wild animals. And you're thinking, really? A raccoon or a skunk? You want to bring that? Okay. Uh, so uh, it's fun. So you don't want to go to Oklahoma State, right. and you do. How come? I do. Well, I eventually, I went to UCO first, um, and what I missed there was just connection. Um, it was in Oklahoma City. Um, I wasn't involved in campus life. I wasn't in a sorority. I worked. I tried to work full-time as many hours as I could just to make some money and 
be independent. And um, so I wasn't finding the, the college experience that I hoped for. And my dad encouraged me just to come to Stillwater, give it a try. And so I eventually transferred to Stillwater um, and found a family here. So that's what I enjoyed about Oklahoma State is that it really is a, a family of a great um, network of people. If you're wearing orange and you see someone across the country, then you know you, you're one of us. And um, it's an incredible culture here. And so I just fell in love. I am telling you, I've been on a lot of campuses and you always see a lot of the color of whatever the, the, the mascot is or the school colors are, uh, but you rarely see it with the density that you will see at Oklahoma State University for sure. Uh, tons of pride, tons of connectivity. And when you think about your college experience, you studied business, um, any favorite memories during, during your time as a student? Uh, yeah, Gallagher Iba was the place to be. So um, Eddie Sutton days of basketball, there was nothing like uh, being, I mean, you stand in the stairwell to be in a completely packed Gallagher Iba arena. I can remember um, beating Texas bad and it was wonderful. I mean, we did, the whole place was electric and uh, lots of fun memories in Gallagher Iba. So. You know, those are the memories that in the context of our, uh, digital experience over the last 20 months. Nobody has been able to figure out how Zoom can create that feeling that you were just describing. So hopefully a lot more of that here in the coming months. Here, 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 I agree. So um, when- and, and you, one of the things that I'm just super um, excited to hear about is we have interviewed almost a hundred advancement leaders at this point. Uh, you are one of, I think you are the only senior leader of a, of a large foundation that, that I uh, know of who has really come up the ranks from an HR and talent management perspective. And so very excited to just learn more about what led you into that career path. I mean, when I think about, you know, certain HR roles like recruiting, it can very much feel like development work or sales where you're doing a lot of outbound prospecting and trying to you know, close the, the the prospect, if you will, but there's obviously a whole host of activities that go into the talent management world. So when, uh, during the course of your um, studies, did you start to think about HR as a field? And then ultimately, uh, just tell me about some of those early years post-college. Yeah, so I started to think of um, HR, I think it was my sixth, sixth major. Um, so I really have been trying to find myself you know, over the last sixth major. Yeah. Yeah. So I thought at first I wanted to be a coach. I love sports. I wanted to be teacher coach. I loved math. So some variation of math teacher coach was kind of the path I was heading down. Um, And, and then decided I wasn't sure that that, you know, really was going to be what I wanted to do two, three, four years later. And a friend of mine said, well, you know, HR is kind of like a coach of people in business. Kind of the same thing. I thought, okay, what is HR? What does that even mean? Started doing a little investigation. I'm like, I like that. I like the idea of helping people find their place and find where they can maximize their strengths and uh, kind of that arranger personality a little bit. So um, did business administration and had an option in HR. Uh, I started doing HR in banks during school. I was a teller. So I did um, banking, open accounts, that sort of thing. It's just my school part-time gig. Uh, so then started HR in banks. Um, By the way, what yeah. a great job. Like being yeah. a teller. My, my wife was a teller. She went to Iowa State University. She was a teller. And uh, 
I think there's some good training for getting right. used to money yeah. and, you know, major gift conversations. So, okay. you know, any, any moments where you're a teller and you're like, whoa. Yeah, like, for sure. I just deposit Yeah. For sure. And also the realization that the more you make, the more you spend. Like, okay, this is, it, it, um, you know, people even at the highest level are, um, you know, really contemplating and maximizing how they use their resources. So I thought that was interesting, no matter how much they had, they kind of are diligent in the same way. So, so uh, you pivot the uh, teller role into an entry level HR opportunity at Stillwater National Bank. You show up the, you know, the first day for that full-time role. What was the job? What, what were you focused on? Uh, I was an HR coordinator. So it was just any task at hand, um, you know, onboarding new employees. So I would do orientation and tell them how great this place is. We were a bank before the state was a state. Here's who we are. This is why we matter. This is connecting you to cause. So I've always had a little bit of me that really is passionate, altruism of connecting people to cause. And why, why are we doing what we do and why does it matter? Um, and so I, my time at the bank, they gave me more opportunities than some young college kids should ever have. And I was very grateful for my time there, uh, for sure. Um, they, they're very fortunate. And I eventually left there and went and did um, HR work in a call center. Uh, and that's where I felt like I got real HR, I'll call it real HR. Uh, it's baptism by fire. So you're triaging employee relation issues. Um, suddenly it is your legal counsel as well as HR. So it was a very different environment, but I really appreciated it. Uh, and then I did that in the distribution um, sector. So um, that was also a lot of fun and met some really great people. Uh, what I found in distribution that was fascinating to me is just the culture there. They have really philanthropic hearts. Um, so they didn't have much to give, but they would have given you anything. And it was just this incredible culture that it was really hard for me to leave because I appreciated how giving uh, every employee at that organization was. So when I came here to the OSU Foundation, entry-level HR, yeah. Can I, can I just ask, like during those early years, when you're in HR, I mean, you know, let's be honest, people are people, people are crazy. I mean, you have the whole yeah. spectrum, right? And so yeah. you see probably some of, you know, the best stories of growth and development, and you probably see some of the, the ugliest realities too. I mean, um, did you have, like, did you just really get thrown into it? Or, you know, when you dealt with some of those like really high highs or maybe really low lows, I mean, how did you sort of stay, stay balanced? Yeah, um, you do see both ends of that spectrum. I'd say in um, the distribution and the call center environment, it was a broader spectrum. So you got to see people who uh, started at the organization and had been there, you know, five, 10 years and progressively grew and were, you know, the head of the distribution center or had really accomplished quite a lot. And then on the flip side, you know, my first couple of weeks there, um, there were truck drivers in a fist fight and I had to try to figure out how to navigate this fight. Um, I was recalled yesterday a, a, um, a lawsuit that was filed. Um, an employee said he was let go because he was over 40 and um, African-American. And it, the, the true story was he had dropped his pants going through the metal detector. And it was like, okay, wait a second. So just funny things like that, that you go, okay, how did we get here? Um, but great. So how, how do you navigate a fist fight? Carefully, <laughs> carefully. Um, you know, I think for all of those, there's a 
there's a period, and we've had some of those at every job I've been at, where emotions are just so high for people. So step one is just get people calm, you know, move people away from each other, create some calm amid the chaos, and just start working through what happened, valuing every person's perspective. I've learned that you and I could see the same car accident outside the window, and we'll describe it totally So it's not that we're either one wrong. It's just the lens that we see the world through is different and that's okay. And so being able to authentically and genuinely hear what someone has to say and how we arrived here and valuing that perspective helps find middle ground. Um, I've always appreciated doing that. I thought that mediation role is something that I find value in in helping people come to common ground in the middle. So um, it's, I would say if we had to rank industries by fistfights at work, advancement's probably pretty low, right? I mean, yeah, we're pretty I low. We haven't had any of those yet. So I'm, I hope our audience is enjoying the kind of spiced up <laughs> version of, uh, you know, the career path here. Yeah. Uh, it, might, it might help you reframe some of the frustrations that you all yeah. might be having at work right now. At least you don't have fistfights flying and, uh, and, and pants being dropped. So uh, with all of that, um, I, I meant to ask, when did you learn, like, when did you really get to know that the Oklahoma State Foundation was a thing, right? Because you're, you know, when you're a student, there's all kinds of organizations and you hear something, but you don't really know what it does or what the impact um, was, unless, you know, maybe as a student, you were a beneficiary or you got involved. And so um, when kind of along your journey, because, you know, it's common among our, our audience for folks to maybe go into advancement right out of school or they start right at their alma mater. So you really had several years in this sort of nearby, right? You're in Stillwater, you're in the area. Uh, I'm sure you're still going to basketball games and, and football games and all of those things. But when did you start to think about the business that is philanthropy um, and, and that sort of mission at uh, Oklahoma State? Honestly, not until I applied for a job here. I didn't know the foundation existed. After college, we moved about you know 70 miles away um, and started a family and had become a little disconnected and had decided we wanted to relocate to Stillwater. And um, as I was starting to look for jobs, a, a friend of mine um, way back in the banking days uh, knew a couple of people here and said, you should, you should talk to the foundation. And I thought, who's the foundation? What do they do? What is this place? And just through that search, um, I got connected with the foundation. And I, you know, and I didn't know when I was a student here. I didn't know anything about the foundation. I couldn't have told you what philanthropy or advancement was a decade ago. Honestly, I just really was not involved. Uh, but I knew I loved higher education. Um, I knew there was something about higher ed that I felt like really could change the world. And why? Why um, do you feel? I way? just. I think it's solves all of society's problems. If you think about incarceration and food and poverty, I just think education's the key. It's the real way that we solve it. So I knew I loved academia. I knew I loved higher ed. I knew I wanted to live in a small town, which we do, but I wanted it to be close to a college campus because I think you get the benefits different than living in a small town in, in rural Oklahoma. You get to experience so much more. So that's all I knew. I didn't really know foundation. I didn't know about fundraising. I didn't know how all that kind of fit together, um, but have, have learned a lot the last decade for sure. And so you joined in 2011. You spent yeah. uh, 
you know, 13 years, I guess, uh, or no, eight yeah. years at least in, uh, in human resources. Yeah. And then, um, you know, that was a period of growth. I mean, what were you focused on? Any like favorite memories during that core uh, HR period? Yeah, I mean, we, when I started in 2011, we had under 100 employees and we were hiring people like crazy. Uh, so really correlating fundraising to, to development work. I mean, I just hired somebody here as our vice president of development that I've known for 10 years. When I started here, I'm like, okay, he's staying on my radar. He's going to be great and I want to work with him. And so I've got a little list. Shout outs. Yeah. Shout outs. Who's that? Uh, Scott Roberts. That's Mr. Scott Roberts. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. He is just awesome. And we have known each other 10 years. And just that's part of what this similar HR recruiting is very similar to what we do in building these long-term relationships. And um, so I'm glad for Scott to be here. But that, that was the theme 10 years ago in HR was hiring people like crazy um, we are a very progressive organization. So can, can I just ask, like hiring people like crazy, that's exciting, um, but you don't get it all right. And so oh, yeah. especially when, you know, there's that pace and the pressure, just curious if you developed any, I don't know, patterns or lessons learned along the way where, uh, you know, when you think about some of the greatest successes or maybe, um, you know, it, it, like nobody hires somebody thinking it's not going to work out, right? Like that is the day when it's like, everybody's gung-ho, like everybody's fired up. And then, you know, post onboarding or even during onboarding, things start to pretty quickly trend the right direction or the wrong direction. Um, And so I'm sure there had to be some course correction along the way. Yeah, there has been, but I would say it's weird. I, I appreciate organizational behavior, people behavior. And I would say as an organization in extreme growth in that first you know, five years of my tenure here, we had the benefit of being able to create jobs around people's strengths. We had both the resources to do that and the need that if someone wasn't the perfect fit as we had hoped in a specific job, but they were a great culture fit, we could create a new job that really built around their strengths. Um, at post campaign, you level off a little and you don't have that same ability anymore to put and add more people based upon their, their skill set. So we went through a period where we had to go through reduction and a reorganization and realign staff in the right and the right seats on the bus, which was hard um, in any industry, but definitely in nonprofit um, industry. It's a really hard thing to do to restructure or, or reduce um, workforce. And some of that was just the evolution of focus you know, during campaign and post campaign. Um, But I'd say uh, we're just at the place that we're in that same growth again, where we're adding more people. Um, So my hope is we still can do a little bit of that movement when someone gets here and we realize, okay, the dust has settled. We thought this was the perfect role. Now we know a little bit more about your gifts. And so let's reposition the role just a little bit adding things that really suit someone's gifts um, and, and uh, you know, reshuffle kind of organizational um, responsibilities as we can. So the thing I love about this place. So tell me about, I mean, your career path. It's HR, 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 yeah. HR, senior vice president of development services, <laughs> like not the pivot that I would have yeah. expected, probably yeah. not the pivot you would have expected um, but obviously it was an important one, which I'm sure 
was a catalyst for the role that you're now in. So just tell me a little bit about that transition um, and, uh, and, and then ultimately the move to the Alumni Association as well, which as a you know, young alumna, relatively disconnected, who doesn't know what the foundation is, probably yeah. wouldn't have predicted that either. No, absolutely not. Um, I would say all of it has been a surprise. Most of my career, I felt that way. I think what gets me into trouble into these jobs is I just genuinely will do whatever the task is. And I'm always the person that's like, yeah, I can help. What do you need? What? Happy to help. Happy to help. Um, and so the development services job was vacant for about a year. And we were in search for who that person was. And my boss at the time was like, would you, would you do that job? I mean, here's what we need. We need the team to come together here. You know, can you, can you do it? And I was like, yeah, sure. I mean, I can, I can do it. Um, so I was happy to try to help in that job, the same as every other job. Okay. You can do that as soon as you find your replacement. So I have about three months of doing both HR and, um, head of development services, which was fun. Uh, and enjoyed that job. I loved knowing the- and, and just, you know, for our for our audience, maybe like development services isn't always a common title. How would you define what development services is or was at that time in your role? Yeah, so we had flattened our organization, eliminated a vice president role, and really had five roles serving as uh, vice president, uh, reporting to the CEO. So in mine, I was over marketing communications, donor relations, stewardship, special events. Um, that was the primary uh, focus of development services. Uh, we had a women's philanthropy program under that as well, Women for OSU, which was a lot of fun. Um, and then we had four other leaders. So information strategy, a shout out to Chris Campbell. If you all don't know Chris Campbell, he is the best in the business, super innovative. Uh, he's had information strategy since that time and has just taken us to next level. Uh, and then we had three others on the development side that were principal gifts, central development, and constituency development. So five of us together really did um, the role of a vice president and had our each individual areas. So it was unique, a unique structure, but a great opportunity. And so you you pivoted from really being focused on, you know, the, the talent pipeline from recruitment to onboarding to professional development to uh, you know, offboarding, right, and and yeah. and all of that, to really um, jumping into a leadership. Now, while you're doing that, I'm sure you're getting lots of exposure to the work of the foundation and what all of those different segments yeah. are. But you hadn't done donor relations, you hadn't done marketing and communications. But at the same time, you're sort of thrust into a leadership role. Um, what was the 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 biggest challenge when you think about the portfolio? of work that you had sort of under you where you maybe just felt like, whoa, I've been at the foundation for a while, but I really didn't know, you know, about this or that, or, or maybe there wasn't anything that felt like a, a learning curve. Uh, well, there was quite a lot of learning curve. I think the eight years prior in HR though, I saw myself as a business partner and that you know, people problems create process problems or process problems create people problems. So I had the opportunity to really understand how the processes worked because you'd see um, connectivity to where we had issues bubble up or where we needed new staff, that sort of thing. Um, I would say the, the biggest um, challenge was really understanding how those service entities served the frontline uh, role. There was just an influx of um, uh, tasks, but little prioritization. And it, you know, it's probably not 
different. Uh, any industry I've seen that where the kind of front of house and back of house, there's some disconnect uh, in you know prioritization and, and value of each. And so that was a challenge then, as I, I think it probably still is um, at the foundation. So, uh, and then most of it is in a leadership role. Most of your challenges are people related. So the, I felt like I was getting out of HR and what I realized was, no, you're always still, you're in HR. I mean, that's um, what we do as leaders is um, HR related things. So I've um, been able to use those skills quite a lot in that role. Um, well said. And uh, tell me about the move to the Alumni Association and the relationship between the foundation and the Alumni Association when you stepped in as president. Yeah. So um, much like all my other roles, it was this, um, they were making a change at the Alumni Association. The question was, could you fill in in the middle? Could you provide interim support? And I said, yeah. And can I ask, when you took that role or, or even prior to that, was the president of the Alumni Association reporting into the foundation or was it, um, yeah. There are two separate 501c3s. And so who did the president of the Alumni Association report to? They had a separate board um, as well, just like the OSC Foundation. So a completely separate governing board. Um, there's about 25 employees at the Alumni Association and about a 16% governing board. So it was actually the board chair who had worked with my boss um, at the foundation uh, to conjure this, you know, um, you know, would I fill in in the middle? And I said, yeah, absolutely. But it wasn't a job I thought I wanted um, full time. I honestly um, didn't know a lot about what the Alumni Association did. I know that's embarrassing to say as well. Um, but I did. We have America's Greatest Homecoming here. So shout out to the Alumni Association and the eight homecoming. Is that uh, is that a trademarked uh, you know, copyrighted it expression? Is. Okay. America's Greatest Homecoming. And it is America's Great. We have 80,000 alums that come back. It's incredible. That's amazing. Um, and, the, and the student-led, I mean, great students that put this on. Uh, and so I knew they did that, but I didn't really know what they did. I just knew um, I really valued the leaders that were in the organization and that has been there before. They were friends and trusted uh, colleagues. So I knew them personally, and I knew that as they were going to change, I was happy to help serve to make sure that the people there still had support that they needed going through the change. Um, as the time went on and they started their search and um, they were starting to review candidates, the board chair and vice chair said, okay, are you sure you don't want to apply for this job? Everything's going great. I mean, are you sure? And I, by then, had really connected with the staff and really connected to what they do there. Um, so I decided that I would uh, be interested. And can I ask, sometimes there can be tension between an alumni association and the yeah. foundation. And there certainly has been a tradition over the last 10 years or a trend towards mergers and integration and so forth. And so, you know, given that you had come from the foundation, were folks skeptical at all or, or oh, yeah. was there just a willingness? Okay. Yeah. Oh yeah. They absolutely. Um, there was quite a lot of concern that this meant we were merging. Um, and I, and honestly, the board, can I ask, what do you think? And I'm like, I, I just need time. I don't know. I don't know the business well enough. I don't know why we're separate. I just, I want to learn and um, evaluate what, what's best for the enterprise um, in, in you know, totality. Um, but there was fear of, 
of um, merger. And I think my heart is always to be just really transparent with staff to um, you know, walk them through where we are. So I hope during that season, they felt like I was really transparent and that um, we, we talked about the concern as it really was. And uh, we went through it as a team to say, what, you know, why would that be a bad thing? And what does it mean for us? And through that process, I think I realized and really came to appreciate in the ad advancement world, um, the role of the alumni association, it really is the, the long game. So we say there that our job, the alumni association was to create a rational brand loyalty, uh, you know, just wild enthusiasm and affinity, regardless of how old someone is, regardless of where they live, just irrational brand loyalty was the goal. Deepen pride and love and OSU. That's what every day we wake up and we want to make sure everybody has deep connection and pride in our university. And that was fun. It was different too than what the foundation does. And so we really found, I think, preservation of mission was important uh, and valuing both of those um, roles. And, and I think um, I wouldn't have known what advancement meant without that. I think as the foundation, just we were moving so fast here. We were doing a lot of things here that really should have been alumni association um, roles. We just were moving fast and didn't really look up to say, actually, I think alumni association should be doing that and not us. So it's been really fun to try to put the pieces together to say, we can do this together. A you know, piece of paper of a merger doesn't didn't change anything. If we want to think about advancement strategically and we want to think about the value of the alumni association arm and the foundation arm and how we do this together, we can do that. It just takes great leadership. It takes people sitting around the table talking about what's working, what's not, talking about you know what's best for the constituent, what's best for the donor. And we've started that. So our alumni association executive team and foundation executive team actually just earlier this week sat down and talked about, okay, what's What's membership and what's annual giving? How do, we, how do we think of it in the same ways? How do we think of it in different ways? How can we work together to really elevate the university and really focusing on university first? So if we're partners in advancement, it isn't about them, it's not about us, it's all about OSU. And if we keep that at the center, we can move far and fast. I love it. And I think the expression irrational brand enthusiasm uh, is that what you said, or loyalty? Yeah, loyalty, rational. Uh, rational brand loyalty. I'm going to take with me. I think every business leader should be thinking that way. Um, Stillwater National Bank should be trying to create yeah. a rational brand loyalty. It's a really, really great expression. But at the same time, um, you know, we talk a lot about the giving funnel at Evertrue, right? How do you take like a marketing and sales approach and have what is the top of funnel? The top of funnel is just brand awareness and and you know passion and interest. And then you need to go further down the funnel to getting informed and really considering a purchase, whether the purchase is a membership or the purchase is a, a planned gift, you know, your sort of ultimate gift. Um, and so one of the, you know, one of the advantages is by having an organization like the Alumni Association laser focused on that brand loyalty and awareness and America's greatest homecoming there's just clarity of focus, but at the same time, that can create challenges as it relates to actually converting all of that brand loyalty into pipeline, into annual donors, into planned gift donors for the next campaign. And so how do you think about making sure that 
there's not just like amazing enthusiasm out there, but also amazing enthusiasm that is then segmented and converted into, you know, the revenue objectives that you all have to achieve. Yeah, well, that was our conversation Monday really was about that. So getting people to commit time, talent and treasure and measuring that. So at the Alumni Association, they do a great job of measuring engagement, both opens and clicks and uh, attendance at events and really trying to track constituents in where they are in their engagement and trying to convert them, of course, you know, member donor. And we use those a little interchangeably because, you know, the membership model there really is the brand that sits on top of annual giving. So knowing that someone would engage with being a member, um, a chapter member, an alumni member differently than they would maybe at a certain stage to say, I want to, I want to be an annual donor of, of $50. $50. So um, we really try to segment what groups will respond to what message, you know, the right message, the right time, the, the right person. Um, and so that conversation uh, you know, this week really was trying to help propel those two teams to working more collaboratively um, to get that pipeline. You know, when I went to the Alumni Association, what I learned was there was not a huge connection. The Alumni Association was getting great data, but it was never coming over here. They were getting data on who's coming to homecoming. People would register, never came over. Students right. did career services. We weren't getting it. There really wasn't collaborative tracking of, you know, what constituents were up to. There was. I'd say it was probably good for our industry, but could be better. Um, so, you know, we were share, we share the same database um, now. So it was just the awareness of how the foundation and how the university could use that engagement data more strategically, that's where we were missing. Um, that they're engaged in a chapter. We weren't getting that they were investing right. their time in a chapter. So those are little things like that. Uh, but we were getting bio you know, demo updates, that right. sort of thing, um, as you'd expect. So you, um, you're convinced to sort of throw your hat in the ring for the Alumni Association job. You get it. Sounds like you really enjoyed it. You, you overcame the skepticism. And then, uh, you know, one minute before the pandemic started, somebody thought uh, that it would be uh, worthwhile for you to throw your hat in another ring or, or how did this come about? Yeah, um, it was kind of a, another weird, I don't know how it came about, um, but, I, you know, there was a, a process here at the foundation to, to search for a president. And, you know, I was in, involved to the extent that I wanted there to be a great person here because I wanted that relationship to be really strong. Um, as the search went on, um, I'd get periodic questions from people. Are you going to apply? Are you going to apply? I was like, no, no, not, not interested. This is a you know, great gig. Um, and then I got a call um, from university leadership that said, hey, I know your heart is in just doing what's best for OSU. I'm like, absolutely. And I've always said that. Put me anywhere. At some point, that's going to be, you know, mopping the floor somewhere. I have no doubt. <laughs> but for now, I mean, just put me wherever you need me and I'm happy to serve. Um, and so the, the, they said, I really think that you can serve the university better from the foundation. I think that you can serve the alumni association better from the foundation. I think that you'll have a broader and bigger impact for the university at the foundation. I really want you to consider it. And that was really hard for me. I, I wish I could say it was just a no brainer, but it was hard um, for a lot of reasons. I love the people here. Um, I kept thinking, surely there's somebody better for the foundation. <laughs> I mean, have you, you know, looked everywhere that I think there's probably somebody else. And I love the alumni association. I felt like we'd just gotten moving 
we changed our funding model, we changed our brand, we changed our membership model just in that first year and a half. And I, um, just, I felt like we were just getting our legs under it. So I've had a hard time, um, but I said, yes, but ask for a six month transition. So for six months, I was kind of one foot in both um, worlds, which in hindsight is a really bad idea. So if anybody's listening, six months is really hard. Really, I don't know how many hours and my family is a real saint in that because they saw me very little in that time, but a lot of good people and um, we made it through it. So six month transition, I started here just in time for pandemic. Uh, which also was an adventure. I got to learn the budget really quickly here also. Um, so that was, a, that was good, but yeah. What is the job of the president of the Oklahoma State Foundation? Yeah, so um, it, it's more complicated than I gave it credit for. So there's certainly a component as a separate entity. We you know, manage the assets of the university. So I, I knew that piece of it. It's about a billion dollars in assets. Um, so my old banking time is really coming in handy for that piece of it. Um, you know, the, the, the um, thing I have enjoyed most is really, you know, connecting with alumni and donors. It's this feeling of our main job is building relationships and it's helping foster those relationships that, such that we can help them make a difference and propel the university forward. Um, and I love that. I, I hadn't given enough credit probably for what that looks like to donors and what that looks like to the university. But I'll tell you with the, the new president, uh, Dr. Shrum, who is phenomenal, we are going places and we're going to go places fast. And so this job primarily really will be um, being that conduit to say, here's where we're going. Come with us. Uh, we've got big dreams and, and we want you to be a part of it. First impressions matter, and your first impression is incredibly positive of Dr. Shrum. Why do you feel that? I mean, what is it about the early interactions and your, um, you know, extra enthusiasm for the future? Yeah, she is very strategic, I will tell you, incredibly intelligent, uh, and she's creative. So her ability to solve problems, it, she does it very creatively, so I love that. Um, we're going to build a, a comprehensive strategic plan. Um, the thing I also love just as a, I love higher ed and I love, um, I love what we do here, but I, I also love land grants. So Oklahoma State is a land grant. There are many other land grants um, around and there's something different about being a land grant. And it's- this Why? Why? What yeah. is it? It's service to community. So it's not just about educating the student. It's not just about doing great work and research, but it's really about pouring that back into our communities and, and solving society's greatest needs. And Dr. Shrum sees that. She sees this connection to university and serving communities and university and serving industry and really helping propel our, our state and nation forward. And so that's exciting for me because that's what fulfills me too, is that I think, I think that higher ed can change the world. And I think a land grant is perfectly suited to do that. And she really connects to that land grant mission. So it's going to be fun. And the way that higher ed changes the world is changing one life over and over and over and over. And one of the stories that you've shared, which I'm so excited uh, to hear about, yeah. is this tradition you've developed where 
you really, I mean, I think, look, billion dollars, mm -hmm. endowment proceeds, annual fund, the constant question of, but where did my gift really go? Like, who did it help? Did it help that student, this student? You've got this amazing program that everybody listening should copy and steal immediately and document it and share it on social media. Um, tell me about helping one donor pay off a future teacher's student debt. Yeah, so we have an awesome donor. This was one of the first experiences I had as president here, and I will never forget it. Um, he is so passionate about helping teachers. And every year he'll ask us to go through the um, you know, student records and find someone that has um, a debt that looks between a certain level. Uh, and he, he will pay that off. We find the student and he wants to pay off their debt. But he does it in a way that's so incredible, both for the student, for him and everybody else in the room. Uh, so my first memory, we were here in the foundation, we sat down with the donor uh, and we have a student come. The student thinks that they're coming to tell us about why they decided to be a teacher and where they're going and a little about their student experience and just connecting with the donor, which many of our students do all the time and, and are fabulous at it. Um, student comes up, they tell us this great story. We ask questions like, where are you from? And, you know, did you have help and tell us about, you know, uh, why scholarships were important to you, so on. And then he just, the donor just says, okay, I want to tell you that I'm going to pay off all your debt. And it's just tears. I mean, immediate tears. Like my mom and I were struggling. We didn't know how we were going to do this. And so powerful, so powerful. I mean, it's for both of them. And he has those students every year. Uh, he'll invite them to the football suite. He stays connected with them. It's just incredible. Just incredible. Blair, have you seen any of the viral videos where, I mean, this is reminding me of the, the walk on to the football team when, you know, the coach, the whole team knows that, you know, that Brent's going to get the scholarship and they, you know, announce it and the room erupts. And like, those have just become awesome, like good vibe, viral videos out there. Like what you just described to me is like the advancement version of that, but we don't see that. And maybe it's about like, student privacy or donor privacy or, or, or humility. But, but part of me is like, that's what we need to be showcasing. Like, I want to see like the debt paid off, their friends going crazy. And like that being the message of like the impact of one donor on one life. Now let's do that, you know, 30,000 times. And, and, and how do we kind of bring some of that emotion and energy to, to this space? Yeah, I, I do think at OSU, it's the humble factor. Uh, we say a lot, we have a hard time promoting those things. We have a hard time showcasing what we're good at. And it's, it's what we love, but it's also our worst enemy. So, um, you, you know, now I'm going to ask, okay, I'm going to, can I share all of this everywhere? <laughs> I think you should. I mean, I, I would, I would have the, the videographer there and I would, I mean, and it doesn't have to be a hundred friends, you know, erupting in joy, but just the authentic connection, nobody gets a window into that interaction. Like you've seen it because of your role, but even your team hasn't seen that. And like, how do we really continue to, you know, in, in the spirit of building uh, irrational brand loyalty, like that kind of story is an example of how you do that in this, 
TikTok, you know, YouTube sort of yeah. era that we're all living in. Yeah, that's a great point. Absolutely. I love it. I love it. I can't wait to see next year's yeah. uh, video. Then. <laughs> definitely. Um, other thing I definitely wanted to cover, I think you're the first guest on the podcast who is a member of YPO. Yeah. And that should not be the case. Tell me about YPO and tell me why more of your peers in yes. advancement leadership roles should be members. Oh my gosh, I hope anyone out there who is not a member of YPO, please look into it. Young Presidents Organization. It's a global organization, so you'll have a chapter near you, I can assure you. Um, wherever it is that you are, there'll be a chapter near you. Um, I'm in the Oklahoma City chapter. I just joined a little over a year ago, so I'm relatively new. We have about 60 people, I think, in that chapter. Um, and it's an incredible group of people. I'll say, um, when you're the head of an organization, it's different. There's nobody behind you. There's nobody, you're, when they say it's lonely at the top, maybe it is, I'm not sure, but finding a group of people that really understand and can relate to where you are um, and help you solve problems. So there's a number of times that I'm just feeling stuck uh, and the content and the relationships there through the programming that they have, you really do get inspired by what other people are doing in other industries, maybe not related to you at all. Um, but it also just wonderful relationships with really great leaders in the state of Oklahoma. So I have loved every minute of that. One, one of my friends from business school is, it was a early to join YPO and has just been an incredible evangelist for it. I'm curious, like your favorite memory uh, from YPO so far. Um, so I've gone to two YPO retreats and I just got in a forum. So I'm sure at some point I'll have great forum um, stories. That's kind of the round table that really provides a lot of value for YPO. Uh, but in the two retreats, we, we just um, went to West Virginia um, and had a fantastic trip there. Um, I'll say it was fun because, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm there and the governor is in a whitewater raft with me. My kids are like, wait, you were whitewater rafting with the governor? And I said, yeah, I mean, yeah, we, we were. It was fun. Um, and we had a great Got time. It. Governors yeah. are people and they like to whitewater raft too. That's right. That's right. Here in Oklahoma, many of the governor's um, cabinet are YPOers. So wow. it's a trusted group of people who are leaders that, um, you know, lots of connections there. As I've learned about YPO and I have, you know, recently um, thought about applying as we continue to scale our work here. Um, and as I've heard about it from my, my close friend, uh, Chaz, that I feel like there's a lot that alumni associations could learn from YPO. And I'm just curious, I'm putting you on the spot a little bit, but when you think about what YPO has done really well to build tight-knit community and really add value throughout somebody's life cycle, um, you know, is, is there a role for alumni associations to borrow some of that playbook or, or is it just a different lane? No, I do. I absolutely think there, there is. And I'll tell you, some of that forum work, there, there are a lot of similarities to that and um, chapters. So I don't know if most alumni associations have chapters in some uh, way, shape, or form. And I think the um, transition of the work that a chapter does, both for one another and for university, there's something there that I think um, you could really feel yeah. to change the conversation a little. Well, I feel like one of the tensions with alumni associations, I mean, you've already touched on it, but it's about breadth, right? It's about old, young, rich, poor, domestic, global. It's about everyone. Whereas I feel like YPO has really gone uh, towards depth, right? And, and I think 
It's about deep connections with a small group of like-minded people. Um, and, and, and it's sort of the opposite of, um, you know, going to the bar for the, for the game watch, which is very fun, but it's not going to be nearly as substantive as the sort of, you know, things that you might do in a YPO context. And, and, and that's hard because, you know, when you've got hundreds of thousands of constituents, different ages, different industries, I mean, you could, you could sort of slice it down to peer groups of five and be running, you know, 50,000 peer groups, which probably isn't realistic for, for any uh, alumni association. Yeah, but there's something there. I really do think that there's a connection there. I, I mean, I think about at Alumni Association Career Services and those sorts of things that they haven't, what people really want is to know that when I move to Houston, Texas, um, that there's a group there that I can lean on to help support me both in my transition to community, but also in my career transition, I can lean on when I'm stuck as a growing uh, professional. And we, we just tend to keep it very surface level there. So I think there's something um, to, to be said about what you said, that the depth of the YPO experience um, could really be valuable in the alumni world. Well, I look forward to hearing uh, more as your as your forum activities um, advance. I might uh, I might just touch base with you on the side and see uh, get your take there. Um, I've got two more topics that I want to touch on, and then I'll let you go. The first is is mentorship. Um, it hasn't come up too much, but typically for folks in your shoes, uh, there are people along the way who have believed in you, have made bets on you, have supported you, who have been um, you know some of your mentors uh, along your career journey. Yeah, there have been a lot of people, I'll say every job I've been at, um, I, I feel very fortunate to have had a direct boss who believed in me a lot of times more than I believed in myself um, and, and would um, give me opportunities that were way outside of what my job should have been. And that was even early days at the bank. Um, you know, I say Rex Horning, who was there, who was awesome. Um, and that team, you know, Rick Green, they gave me more opportunities to present to their board about things. It's just fantastic. Um, you know, here, Kirk Jewell was my boss and he let me do a whole lot that again was way outside of my lane, but he just let me um, give it a chance. Uh, David Woods, who's in Oklahoma City, he was at Giant Partners, now Magellan. Um, and he's just been great mentor and friend and uh, someone that I call often when I'm stuck to say, okay, help me think through what am I missing? Um, give me a new perspective. And it's been awesome. Um, and, you know, people here, you know, I've been here for 10 years and, and Burns Hargis um, has been fantastic. And Gary Clark, who was his um, kind of right hand, um, both just mentored me along. Anytime I had a question about something big or little, they were always willing to invest time, um, which is so unusual for someone in that position, just to be willing to sit down and say, okay, Let's, let's work through it. They never made me feel like I had to have all the answers um, and were very genuine and just wanting to help. So I hope that I'm that kind of leader for people that, that they know I'll give them the time and, and work through it together. You mentioned Burns Hargis, who I have not met, but uh, as long as I live, he will have a special place in my heart because he is one of the first college presidents who started doing trip planning with the Evertrue yeah. mobile app. And I was- <laughs> blown away to hear that story because we're not always having yeah. you know pre presidents beg for access and not only get access but really um you know leverage leverage the technology super effectively and so uh, i just smiled when you when you mentioned yeah. his name so and very fun proud to know he was here last week 
And uh, topic number one, when he sat in my chair here was, hey, can you get Jacob to come down? I can't get into Evergreen. That's, and I need some help. And so you he know what? still uses it today as president emeritus. He's um, still active in Evergreen. I might have to ask you for a for an intro at some point. Maybe you we bet. get him on the on on the podcast, and uh, that would be that would be a lot of fun. Thank you for sharing that. I'll also shoot you my cell if he ever needs to get into Evertree. He can he can come direct right here. I'm happy well, to help out. We're although, a big Evertree fan, so uh, he's in uh, he's in great hands with Jacob too, though. Yeah. Um, so one of the things you said, if you could change something about the sector. Uh, yeah. You would change the transient nature uh, of, of talent. And you came up through the HR and talent management ranks. And this is a, a recurring theme. And as we sit here in the midst of the, the great resignation and all of the headlines that we're hearing about, um, just tell me a little bit about your perspective on, uh, on that, you know, the retention issues. But then also, as you think forward here, um, where the next growth areas will be for the foundation. And if there are folks listening that have enjoyed hearing your perspective and, and love your um, enthusiasm for, for uh, you, you, the momentum here in the, in the coming months and years, um, you know, what are the opportunities they should be aware of? So tell me about retention. Tell me about opportunities. Yeah, you know, retention has been an issue in our industry for a long time. And I do liken it sometimes to HR. It's an industry that has just emerged, advancement and fundraising, you know, we didn't have this industry a hundred years ago um, and, and people are just getting acclimated to what it is and how to, how to connect with it. Um, so part of it is just a, a shortage. We have more advancement work to be done than we have people. So I fully recognize that. Um, but I also hope that people become a little more settled and um, willing to commit through a campaign and, um, you know, that part of our job, I think, as leaders is making sure that we are um, finding people who connect with the industry and the cause more deeply than, you know, what the, the title or, or the pay structure is. Um, also for us, um, you know, I tell people, if, if the only reason you're coming here is that you love OSU, it, it's not the right thing. We all love OSU, but when you get into this business, um, you see the, the best and the worst of your alma mater. Um, and you have to really believe in what you're doing beyond just the um, university brand at hand. So I hope people will evolve their thinking a little bit as to why they really are in this business and um, what's meaningful about it. And I hope that we can find ways to keep people connected to that in a better way. It just, um, you know, the great recession, I don't know if it's a pandemic tsunami, if that's what we're calling it, <laughs> but it does feel like. Um, People need a change right now. And I don't know if it's just the fact that everything around us with COVID and um, society issues that we feel a little out of control. And so this is an area that you can jump in and try to get control. Uh, so I certainly you know, can, can appreciate that uh, for people. But um, the sticky factor is important when you're in the relationship business. And you know, I think and we've got to find ways. Are you hiring now? Absolutely. Yeah, we've got a lot of positions open. We're, we're going through quite a transformation and uh, really working to grow, grow our um, organization and um, align with where the university is. So it's really that advancement mindset where we're trying to align with where we think the university is going to go. 
and hiring a lot of positions. So um, the, the thing here that's important always is this, you know, adaptability, flexibility, that you know, progressive kind of attitude. Um, I would say servants heart, the, the kind of people that say, hey, we could do this better and I want to try. Absolutely. That's the thing about the OSU Foundation that's so great is there's just this willingness to say, okay, how could we be doing it? Tell me. Um, but at the same time, we've got to find a little balance here. Um, our progressive nature sometimes means that you know, there's just a lot of irons in the fire all at once. So we're trying to find a little bit of balance there and pace ourselves. So I love that Chris well, said velocity we, is- I was going to say, <laughs> we started with velocity, we're ending with pacing. Yeah. So you know, I, I wish yeah. you the best as you find that balance from delivering cows at two in the morning with high school <laughs> friends to- entry-level talent uh, uh, and HR work to leading the foundation. Uh, it has been really fun to just get a window into your uh, career path and, and just to hear your genuine passion and enthusiasm for, uh, you know, what, what has happened in the past, but also what's coming in the future. And I would just encourage everybody, look Blair up on LinkedIn. She's active. Um, you know, she's out there um, making noise on behalf of Oklahoma State. Uh, and, and please feel free to, to, to connect with her. Thank you. It's awesome. I appreciate you. All right. Well, with that, Blair, I will leave you. And uh, to the race community, thank you. Uh, and we'll see you next time. Take care. Bye.